Let's start. Let's start the pie. We don't need to do too much preamble because I think all of it will make for good potting. Cool potting. Yes, casting. Potting. Oh yeah, I guess podcasting. <laughs> all right, let's get to potting. The casting let's do pod. It. to adventure guys the podcast for humans and dogs i'm eric the human i'm nick the human and back once again what is up this is sean the human yes how y'all doing all right good fresh in from la yeah i'm here you're on a whirlwind trip i'm on a little bit of a whirlwind trip right now i stopped in austin texas where i used to live to do a little recording session good friend of ours, Nick Adamo, and then the Kraken Quartet taught like an educational masterclass, which was super duper fun. Um, before I flew to Jersey, where me and Nick attended friend of the podcast, Dan Marvin's wedding. It yes. was great. Dan, who's done much of our uh, episode art, was on an episode, got married. Love yeah. him. Congrats, Dan. We love you, buddy. Yes. Uh I wish you very well. Yeah, I was the best man. It was really fun. Gave a good speech, I think. He had a bit. Talk <laughs> about the bit. I had a bit. Um, feel free to use this because I can't use it again now that I did. But uh, I opened with, I came out and I was like, I want to thank everyone for being here, blah, blah, blah. Like Dan for best man, Susan. And I was like, also before I start, I want to thank both of you for encouraging me to make this speech as long as it needs to be. And then I... In my arm, I had uh, a scroll of papers that was like fifth scroll. It was like I connected piece. uh, Yeah, that was like 15 feet long and I unfurled it and it like went all over the floor. (laughs) Um, And yeah, and I was like, I'm going I'm not going to go overboard. I'm going to stay within the allotted 85 minutes. (laughs) And I started um, and people couldn't tell if I don't know if they could tell how joking I was. There was some like guy from Atlanta that was there was like, oh, I was like, oh man, shit, I thought you were going to talk for so damn long, Um, (laughs) but you didn't. It was good. And um, I, but I, but the way I did the scroll, I was going to like buy an actual scroll, but then that seemed hard. And then I was like, oh, actually I think it'd be funnier if I just printed out the, the speech that I'd written in Google docs and I had like highlighted stuff and changed things into red. And then I also connected it with pieces of loose leaf paper. (laughs) <laughs> um, so I actually did have notes on there. Should I truly need them? Uh, but I had rehearsed it and went all off memory. Yeah, it was great. It was a really good speech. You did a good job. Thanks. Yeah, it was good. I, I, I had to make some calls in the moment and cut some material, but, uh, it was good. How was his mic technique during the speech? His mic technique was good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, you know, just close to the face, never wavering. Um, really, really even amplitude of sound through the entire speech it was great he never did the thing where sometimes a speech giver will hand gesture with the mic that's the hand that's holding the mic and thus they gesture the mic away from their mouth you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then it's just like all over the place nick did a great job thanks i practiced holding that sm58 beta like i would i was like i would like pace around down here on the floor and like do the speech from memory but hold up the sm58 like i was giving the speech uh to get in the habit and then when i I did the night before too and i would 
air mic. Yeah, you're a professional. Yes. Yeah, yeah he rehearsed. What the thing? The thing that I hate about like when people are are talking into a microphone and they get afraid of the sound of their own voice. Uh huh. And it's not loud enough yeah. for everyone to hear, but it's too loud for them. So uh-huh. they start holding it yeah. farther away to make it yeah. go down in volume. Mm-hmm. But then that just increases feedback as yeah. the sound engineer has to try and turn it up. Yes, and exactly. It's, <laughs> it's the so mic funny. winds up all the way out here. Yeah. And like and and then people are bugging the sound engineer, turn it up. <laughs> well, you know yeah. what they how they what was interesting was how they laid out the speakers was I was up at the front by like where the table was, but then literally across the room, like directly across from me, were the speakers pointing back at me. Yeah, that's good. So yeah. it, it was actually set up really well. So like I could hear how I was talking was how loud everyone was hearing. It wasn't like some faulty sort of sim, uh, situation. And I think I I know enough to I would just keep talking over it. <laughs> I mean, it is weird. Yeah. The first time you play in a band and you're on stage and you're talking and you can hear how loud you're talking out to like a big room is weird. Um, so I get the impulse for people to do that. But yeah. 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 I mean, straight up singers do that. Not just like like people that are giving speeches, but yeah. just like, yeah. They do. I, I do have to deal with it all the time. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I mean, there is definitely an amount of singer location to the microphone that is like trained and studied in terms of vocalists who know like in this part of my range, I'm going to get way louder, you know, whatever. But like, I will never forget when we were young, and we went to the Bamboozle Festival, and one of my favorite bands and favorite artists, also very young at the time, Circus Survive, and Anthony Green, early in his career, would do the thing where he would like gesture, move the mic away from <laughs> him when he went high in his range, but he'd go like very far away, um, which just meant like the entire crowd just lost being able to hear him. Yeah, you know, yeah, he and, would do that. Yeah, and as but as he's gone on. In- Which is like almost proper technique because you want to slightly pull away as your volume increases, yeah. I suppose. Well, I mean, but he's just going too is, far. The problem about that is it changes your tone because uh-huh. it changes the proximity effect. And mm-hmm. ideally, like the engineer should just be able to compress it. But if the monitor engineer isn't using the same compression as the front of house engineer, then you're, the singer is going to hear it differently than everyone else. So, uh, that, oh, that's super true. Super that true. could be part of the issue right there. Yeah. While we're here, shout out to um, one of my favorite dumb old pieces of audio gear, the Level Lock. The Shure mm-hmm. Level Lock was this um, piece of equipment that was just put on PA systems for like corporate event and speaking. And it, it is just like a, a really silly compressor, but it just has a switch on it. And it's like, how far is the mic from the person's face? One to five feet. Or like one to three feet, three to five feet. And you switch it between those two. And all the level lock does is it just is a crazy insane compressor that just like tries to compensate for someone who has terrible mic technique. (laughs) Um, Which then went on to be a great piece of studio gear that people would smash drums through. And now there's a bunch of plugins for it. Yeah, the devil lock. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, Yeah. yeah. So it was good. So that was my best man speech. I love that yeah. it inevitably just goes to audio talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was fun. Yeah. And then Sean, yeah. and today we took a train in from New Jersey after the wedding last night to here. And now mm-hmm. we're potting. 
Yep. Um, <laughs> potting. Good. Yes. Casting. We're casting a pod. I'm Cast. sticking with potting. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that one. <laughs> okay. We're casting. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, Sean, since we last saw you, we said we we're going to discuss you went on a, a big West Coast tour. I did. I went on tour playing percussion and vibraphone with white denim. Yes. It was super great. We did a two week run from San Diego to Vancouver. Um, how's Vancouver, Canada? Canada. Cool. We went. And I'm, Canada, eh? I probably I talked about going, I think, on this podcast. Well, I did. I went to LA mm-hmm. on with some work stuff and yeah. got to see the show. And I mean, I've been a fan of white denim since like 2010. I've had them in college. I think that's um, when I first saw them. I mm-hmm. saw them play uh, a festival in Denton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they weren't super big, but everyone was like, yo, there's this awesome rock band from Austin. They play rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like like real rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. Weirdly, I don't think I've seen a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. I know. They're, um, I mean, they're like, I contest that it's probably like maybe the best rock and roll band of our generation for like straight up rock and roll which yeah. it's it's actually hard to say because i feel like when you say they're like a straight up rock and roll band you almost picture i don't know like not like greta van fleet but like almost like a black label society i'm trying to think like an active rock band you know what i mean like a three days grace or something i, I it's like <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know I'm, I'm like not describing it well but butt it, rock yeah maybe like butt rock because that, that's Nickelback. kind of taken off right like bands it's like you're either in that lane or if you're, but yeah. they're more like Everyone go listen to him immediately because it's just like straight up like rock and roll. And we yeah. actually brought my friends who had never seen him, Matt yeah. and Chelsea, to LA, and they were like, "I think that was like the best rock band I've seen." They were like, "Well, they say you didn't tell us we were going to rock and roll baptism." Oh yeah, that's what Matt said. And Chelsea was like, "I didn't know I was gonna get my fucking face shredded off." Yeah, yeah, because it's all yeah. it's good musicianship. There's cool like rhythmic complexity cool chords yeah melodies and all of it but then it just rocks yeah yeah it was great we were doing like our sets were like hour 45 pushing two hours for most of the tour and mm-hmm. that was super fun very exhausting but um you know that james the band leader is really into um crafting medleys and he's really into i love that yeah and like good set list programming is essential oh for yeah, me. You, would, yeah. Lo- you would love it eric off of like what the holophonics have done with yeah. those medleys they would do these block blocks like like you've done where they yeah. just like goes together exactly and w- and i mean like nick saying like the the group of musicians is just outstanding and i i feel so honored to play with all of them but you know rehearsal was like okay cool let's play this song and then it was like everyone just knew ahead of time and rehearsed and knew the song. So it was like, all right, let's play it. And then like, we didn't have to rehearse anything. Like everyone just like intuitively played the song and it was like, cool, that's ready for the stage. And then, and then like all of us halfway through rehearsal, James would be like, so I think I want to like, you know, and we just spend all of our time crafting medleys and we craft transitions. And then that's like how we did it. And, you know, my favorite, uh, you know, every night on that tour, we ended almost every night with like this insano rage block where James was like, I want to create a block at the end of the set where we earn the right to walk off stage and not come back out for an encore. (laughs) He's like, that's what I want to do. And we started with like a raging song that went into a second raging song. And then from there we went and he was like, Oh no, it's three songs. And then, 
the day before tour, it became, no, we're going to do these four songs without stopping. And it's about 20 minutes. It just gets faster and more rocking and faster and more rocking until like the end of the session, like, which just like shredding over the top of it. And then she's like, all right, cool. That's it. See you later. I'm not doing any more. Yeah. It's, it was yeah. unbelievable. If you want to hear, there's a show recorded, right, yeah. Sean, from yeah. the Vancouver show uh-huh. that's on the White Denim Substack. Yeah. So it's whitedenim.substack.com. And uh-huh. if you, it's up there for free if you subscribe, but if you give the money, you get the uncompressed version, which I yes. got. James, yeah, I, I will say the uncompressed version is incredibly worth it. Um, you know, James, uh, you know, I went up to our Vancouver sound engineer was like, can you please, please print this show for us? Just print tracks. And, um, he did, they also ran a great live show. And then James went home and like ran everything through his outboard gear, like as if he was making a record. So, you know, he spent a few days on it, just like actually running it through all the great stuff and treating his vocals and doing weirdo stuff with like outboard processing on his vocal and everything so it's 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 great to listen to um there's a lot of detail in there and everyone sounds great yeah it's cool too you can really hear sean in the mix and the band's never had a percussionist before yeah i'm the first percussionist um i think like one time for some celebratory event like someone played the vibraphone or something but like I'm the first percussionist. Yeah. For white denim. I believe I've got, on a tour and uh, I've, I've got it right here, Eric. I was gonna go go find the block Sean was talking about. Yeah, you gotta go like ten more minutes. Right, yeah, this is the first song. I guess we can't really listen to a whole fifteen minute block on air. <laughs> yeah. Dead air has been a problem for us recently, Eric. <laughs> yeah. But um All right, well everyone go listen to it. Uh the name of the set also is uh Witty Dizzle presents the Fuckable 6 live at Blockbuster Video. There's there are <laughs> There are um three uh band All- inside jokes that James decided to just throw together into uh the name of this set. Um if you go back and, and find any of the uh, photos of us live in Vancouver, they had these two insane high-fidelity projectors that were projecting onto white screens on either side of us, and they came up to us and were just like, do you guys have a band logo you want to put up? And James had has been joking recently on Instagram that uh, you know the band is called Witty Dizzle. And um, people started shouting Witty Dizzle at the stage, like in the middle of sets and stuff. And and we were kind of like, um, someone was like, James, what if what if up there it said Witty Dizzle? And he was like, I'll be right back. And he went and talked to the production manager and they projected Witty Dizzle in Comic Sans <laughs> on the projectors on either side. And then that, that was it. And... Um, yeah, so we had fun. We definitely had like a really, really great time uh, playing the playing the show. It was a really great group of people, and it was definitely as tours go very eventful. And there were a lot of like logistical insanities that had to do with it. But um, we all just like rested our laurels on like we're playing 
we just feel so good about what we're doing on stage every night. And that just made like the entire thing worth it. And like such an incredible experience. So yeah. Nice dude. Go well, listen to white denim. Hell yeah. Happy, happy for you. Thank yeah. you. Incredible band. Um, yeah, super cool. And now, and now you're here. Everyone's I'm here. We're all getting life going. Eric's you've been, we are been, been at it, uh, doing lots of stuff. You got your solo record. Come go to Patreon yeah. for Eric. I'm playing a show. Oh, uh, cool. April 24th. It's a Monday. It's on Long Island. It's like <laughs> the the lowest stakes possible. Long for Island a show. Adventure Heads, get out there. Uh, yeah, 7 p.m. sharp at Amityville Music Hall on Monday, April 24th. I'll have a full band backing me up for the oh, first time. Oh, you're getting the full band. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Hell yeah! I dude. love that. It's so exciting. Um. Yeah. Um. Sean's helping me get a drum set up here down in the the basement for. I've got. I've been. Eric, you, you gave me some really key mixing notes on some of my uh my mixtape project. That's really coming together. Uh, that's uh, exciting. That that'll happen. Uh, and I've just been doing too much. I'm doing a lot of work. Uh, mm-hmm. on just my career. So that'll come. Uh, but I want to put the Miscellaneous Mania theme song on my mixtape. I've okay. I've mentioned that to you. Yeah, you. I mean, it's in our drive. Oh, it is. You keep asking me for it, dog. But oh. it's like, oh, well, I can look at that. It's um, a very good one. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sweet. Is there any other catch up we need to do, or should we get into a little ep- epi discussion? That's about it. I mean, yeah. I've been living in LA for a little while. I think, um, since the last time I was on, I started my audio job. I believe that I appeared on the podcast in a phone call yeah. where I started talking about beginning to work at El Rey Theater in Los Angeles. And Nick was like, well, hold on. We got to get you on the pod in the future to talk about this. But the long story short is that I work at El Rey Theater running front of house and monitors, which is a very similar uh, job, basically the exact same job that you have, <laughs> yeah. Eric. And have yeah. you unlocked all the secrets of the SD-12? You know what? I'm very slowly unlocking all the secrets of the SD12, and there's a lot of brilliant ones. Um, yeah, it was amazing, guys. Guys, um, did we talk about this? But the amazing moment in Pod Synergy is both of you during the pandemic. Neither sound professionals. Eric, you go first. You you get the job at Brooklyn Bowl. Learn about this the console that you have to run the big thing with all the knobs and pushers, the SD12. <laughs> then all of a sudden, Sean's now doing it, and is like, "Hey, Eric, can I?" Uh, talk to you about this sd12 it was a great moment yeah it was a really great moment and for the listener um the digico sd12 is a sound console and there are other consoles that are doing this now but instead of you know your average your old school sound console where every knob or fader or button has one single job new things that are not um you know, that are not consumer grade, but are like professional sound consoles, you can basically assign every single button to be like customizable to do whatever you have to do, which um, at first can be daunting. But once you do it, it completely makes like the experience of doing your job as a sound engineer, like completely customizable. Yeah. There's no default way to use the console basically, which is, which makes it like tough to just like come in and and do a band that like you don't know about. Mm Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you're like, if you have the privilege of having one like on tour and mixing in the same yes. band every night, oh, it must be a dream. Yeah. I am very excited. Um, out of this job and out of this experience, I'm also going to be doing 
some shows this summer where I'm running monitors for a band and um, they're all going to be on an SD12. Oh, really? Yes. So I'm going to, um, at the job, at El Rey, on breaks, I'm going to just craft a, a, fo- a show file yeah. for um, for this band. And I'm, I'm basically like the band's mic and input list is so compact that just on the top fader bank, it's just like going to just be inputs one through 17, monitor mixes one through five. Sends on faders in a single bank, and that's just going to be how I run the show. Dang, yeah, yeah it'll be pretty exciting and cool. Yeah, we're, uh, we are next week, uh, mm-hmm. or actually on Monday, we're installing the uh, Quantum two two five. Oh wow! For, for monitors, okay. Um, which is like the same kind of software as the SD twelve, but it's got like a few, like it's not quite as powerful overall as the SD twelve. But it's got like some more interesting features for like for that are more monitor centric. Yeah. Like you can basically there's like a little spill menu for EQ and you can have just like the same channel with different EQs for every aug send. That's great. Which is like as such a simple concept, yeah. but like is not yeah. really available. Like it's just, not just yeah. Yeah. If you're an, if you are in a band and you're on stage and you're the drummer and you say, "Hey, the guitar is really really bright in my monitor. Can you please make it darker?" The average engineering scenario is that he's going to have to make that guitar sound darker for absolutely everybody on stage. Yeah. So that you're saying it's like, "Oh, like this one guy is asking for something. I can change it for him and not anyone else." What now? So what the SD12 can do, which is really cool, like for that scenario, like you could have uh, two separate channels with right. the same input, yes. and then and so EQ each channel differently, and then send one to the drummer and one to right. everyone else. Yeah, it's so very cool that you can do all that stuff. So. But yeah, the the quantum makes it makes that even easier. Yeah, that's great. I love that. But yeah, it's been very great working at El Rey and having a lot of the experiences that. You know, Eric has talked about on the podcast before, but getting to uh, mix a bunch of really cool bands, yeah. you know, getting to see a lot of live music and it's been very exciting. So Nice. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. Sweet. Audio talk. <laughs> right. Gotta get in there. Gotta do it. I just, I think it's funny that like, like, like the SC12, like it's like a $50,000 console. It's, yeah, it's $50,000. Yeah. Like are, which, which are more ex- cost more money like what consoles are more expensive um, are there avid consoles that cost more money maybe i don't know or like a digico sd9 or like like are the ones with aren't there ones with bigger fader banks oh yeah and then also another line is the allen heath d live and there's one allen heath d live that has like way more faders um i don't remember which oh, one it is yeah instead of like the c the c line of d live there's like an s line where it's like 20 uh where it's like 48 like three, faders like three banks yeah, yeah it's like insane three four banks of faders and stuff um but it's a really really cool device and there are so many reasons that i love analog gear and analog technology for recorded music and the tones it can create but um just this digital world we're living in with audio like makes sound at shows and festivals that everyone attends like possible basically. Yeah. yeah. Have you used the Behringer wing at all? No, I haven't. Tell me about that. I've heard good things about it. I haven't used it yet. Okay. Um, but it's basically in terms of like 
sound quality and you know parts and shit it's yeah. like kind of a lateral move from like the m32 world uh-huh. like it's in that class yeah which i mean if you know you're gonna pay like four thousand dollars for a digital console like mm-hmm. with midas preamps and stuff like it's yeah you know it's pretty much where you're at yeah but it has all of like the digital functionality of like the higher class of, right. of boards boards now yeah. where it's like they don't do the thing where like channels one through 32 or inputs 132 it's like mm-hmm every channel is like whatever the fuck you want it to be. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, yeah. I've, I've yeah. also worked in that D live Alan, um, Alan and Heath D live world. And the interesting thing they are doing, which I think other consoles are eventually going to go to is that in, instead of old school way where there's like a snake or a stage box or something. And then all of those XLR cables like plug into a console. Now these like, di- you know, all of these consoles have a digital stage box, which is basically like the same as an audio interface. Oh yeah, but what they call with the mix rack. Yeah, mix that, rack yeah. or something. Like everyone has their different thing, but for the Allen and Heath, like that box is actually where all of the processing um, right. happens. So like, when so like, the, like they call the con- like the D Live like the control surface. Yeah, or, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a control surface, and no audio actually passes to it. Which for festivals is interesting because it also means that like the cable that connects the control surface to the stage can actually be longer because it doesn't actually have to have actually transmit any audio all the way back there yeah. at all, which is cool, you know? So, um, audio has taken insane steps in technology in the last like 10 years. It's like very crazy. It's pretty cool. So, Yeah. cool yeah might you guys just go yeah yeah you're letting us go on audio talk it's good i know i wasn't gonna i've stopped you before this time i was like just fine just let it happen yeah the yeah the the other thing i'm planning is building an iem rig for the holophonics you are yeah that's good that's cool i've I've priced out the one that i want to build Mm -hmm. at like 11 grand (laughs) yeah meaning yeah meaning that you want to build a rack that just has all of the equipment in it so that anytime holophonics go anywhere you have all the equipment needed so that everyone has like a perfect in-ear mix yeah 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 that's cool and and honestly like half of the cost is wireless gear which of course which sucks yeah it's so expensive and all those packs and transmitters and everything are you gonna do it with like an x32 rack probably an m32 m32 yeah yeah that's cool that's cool. And the, there you can do it with the splitter thing. Yeah. So splitters are where I was really uh, shopping around and like mm-hmm. seeing what, like what I could afford versus like what the quality is. And yeah. Um, Whirlwind has a lot of good options, but like once you get above 24 channels, yeah. like you're mostly looking at custom builds for your split mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Um, and it's it can be it can get real complicated once you start like designing your multi-pin connectors for yeah, yeah. so Tascam actually has it's really interesting it's it's a just like a single unit rack uh rack space eight channel splitter yes with iso tr- transformers mm-hmm. uh and it's pretty for it's like under 400 bucks yeah. for eight channels with isolation that's amazing yeah yeah and they come in eight channel rack units. So it's like you can build it modularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like right now, like the holophonics would, would be like a 24 channel 
uh, input yeah. band, but mm-hmm. I would like to eventually increase that to 32. Yeah. And like that jump mm-hmm. is so like more complicated and expensive with any other piece of gear, like to go from 24 to 32. Mm-hmm. But if you're just using these eight channel units, you just add another you one. You just add another one. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So I think that's the option I'm leaning towards. I think that's a great option. <clears throat> yeah. That's really cool. This is good advice if, for other people in bands, potentially. Yeah. I don't know how many people are building their own in your rigs, but more mm-hmm. probably will or yeah. should or. Yeah. It's very cool. There's in LA, there's just like a whole, I mean, you know, so many people, so many bands now have like tracks, which y'all talked about last week and, um, playback elements. And, you know, like a lot of bands are now traveling with like a playback engineer and stuff like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Playback. I see a lot of posting on uh, Bobnet for, for playback techs. Yes. And there are Instagram accounts where there like, there are companies in Los Angeles where it's like, we will, we will supply you with a playback engineer and all of the gear you need for the tour that you're going to go on. And there, there's just like, it's all just like Instagram for me and Eric, where it's like, Oh, it's just like audio pictures of audio gear. And it's like <laughs> yeah. pictures of these like insane, like the picture of like the playback rack, um, that Blink-182 is going to use. So, you know, and, and like all that stuff. Are you on Bobnet? I am on Bobnet. I've never done a job on Bobnet, but I got two offers recently and I turned them down. Um, one would have been just driving. Yeah. Like the, the RV, uh-huh. uh, when it would have paid pretty decently like was a good offer um but i was like i like i would be away for over a month yeah just driving yeah like i kind of want to be involved in music that's tough (laughs) that's a tough use of your time yeah yeah it's definitely a tough use of time and i am asking the same questions for myself of like if i'm gonna go on tour like what will make it worth it to me you know and that's a question i'm asking myself a, a lot recently it's like i will always go on tour to play like first and foremost you know but if you know at some point if i get offered to do something that is adjacent to the actual performance of music you know it's like um is it possible for me to be doing this job at at home or whatever so that i can keep working on my craft basically yeah 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 exactly yeah the other offer i had was a a tm front house combo kind of classic that's very classic on bobnet and uh, it just, I just decided musically. Did you guys explain what Bobnet is to the listeners? <clears throat> Bobnet is a basically a job posting, like a private job posting site for like touring roadies, like specifically like roadies. Like yeah. they, they make a big Co- deal yeah, about it. Crew. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, so like you just got to like pay like 25 bucks a year and like be quote unquote accepted. But I haven't heard anyone that like applied and didn't get accepted like yeah they have two different um you know when you first get accepted to bobnet um there are posts that are only available to people who have less than a year of experience mm-hmm. and then you know mm-hmm. once you want to be accepted into like the official like i have more than one year of experience on the mm-hmm. road yeah. you just like resubmit your resume the, again demarcation is three years it's three years now yeah which okay. which makes it kind of silly because like what are they posting in like the three years of of road experience, like site, like I don't like the, they must be insane gigs, right? I would think like, they're insane gigs. Yeah, and and also like if you have that much, like because because they're not talking about like tour experience, they're talking about like working as 
like a support as a crew member on mm-hmm. tours. Yeah. So like, yeah, I've toured over a thousand dates, right? Like, yeah. it, like 10 years of touring, but like yeah. performing, like they, they're like, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Exactly. So, yeah. so like if you have three years of crew experience on mm-hmm. tours, mm-hmm. like you must be well connected as fuck. Like, why do you need a, why do you <laughs> a need job Bob post? Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, sense. I, um, I did it. I've hired people off Bobnet. That's cool. Uh, for multiple tours when I was in my old job. Yeah. Um, I did hire somebody actually. I knew, I remember there's somebody I, I need a tour manager and front of house. And then I hired them and, uh, but I had known them and I'd forgotten to like hit them up. Like I hit up a bunch of people. And I was like, Oh shit, I forgot the email. And then they got me, but they had some real experience. Um, but I guess it's just like, you know, when you're between gigs and stuff, it's another place. It's just like another place to have an iron yeah. and fire. Yeah. 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 But uh but yeah, it's cool that there's places like that. Shout out LinkedIn for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Which against yeah. all the odds is a thriving social network. I don't know if either of you are on LinkedIn much, but like it no. is in fuego. People are on there all the time posting up a storm, liking, commenting cuz it's like it's at the center I guess of trying to find a job these days. Uh yeah. I never thought that that thing would would last. I know, right? Yeah. <clears throat> job market's still real hot right now. Mhm. Yeah. That's crazy. Wait, a lot of people are having trouble finding jobs. Really? Because yeah, uh, they keep adding more and more jobs. Like they keep like this is why inflation is is so stubborn because like everyone is fucking hiring. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess it depends the on tech what tech industry is is struggling for jobs. Tech, but tech the, is struggling, but the rest of of the economy I think is hiring in a lot of positions. Yeah. Well, I guess they're trying to, oh yeah, I don't know. I guess it really depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah. I know a lot of people who are having trouble finding jobs. Yeah. And within, yeah, well, Mm -hmm. we'll see. We don't need to go into inflation talk right after audio talk. (laughs) Yeah. We already got enough in the weeds. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I thought I wasn't getting enough work. So I applied to a bunch of Bob Neff stuff and then I got these offers and like, I actually don't need all this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll apply to some of that stuff this year. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. It have to, it, yeah. If you're not performing, uh-huh. it would have to be like the right band, the right music. It's like yeah. the right, the right kind of, like, I think you can be a little choosier. Yeah. It's very true. Super true. So, yeah. yeah. Are you guys, do you want to continue on now to Adventure Time Talk? Let's do it. Episode discussion. Uh, we watched Breezy. This was season six, episode what? Six, I think. Six, six? I think so. Six, six, six? That's what I like to hear. Yep. Season six, episode six? Mm-hmm. Cool. What was the sixth scene of this episode? I hope it's the uh, most d- demonic thing to happen in the show. We'd have to really go through it. <laughs> oh, shit. I bet it was. Yeah. You know, Crab Princess looks slightly demonic. Yeah. yeah. Knowing Jesse Monahan. Yeah. Um, it, so this is an interesting episode. Um, lots of lore in it, um, w- especially with Finn's arm, which is a blind spot for me in the show as someone who's still learning it. I know you guys have seen it all. I've been pacing myself over the course of this podcast. It seems that when we start, Finn has just lost his arm at the hands of his father. This is true. Yeah. How exactly did that happen? We reviewed that episode. Oh, we did. It was 
this the i i think it was the season six premiere yeah sad face yeah and no. they were in outer space correct yeah in this in the space jail right i remember that in the space jail how does the arm get blown off i believe that it gets, oh, it gets yeah. ripped off oh yeah 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 he's he's being pulled in two different directions by like his father's spaceship and someone behind him and then his father takes off and like the arm goes with it i think it's just insane yeah, yeah. Um, very insane yeah so now he's dealing with that he's also dealing with heartbreak he seems he's like in a real malaise and dr princess is there who i very much enjoy and she's overseeing his arm which has now sprouted a little flower yes which was interesting like what is that even symbolizing or why is that happening well, it sprouts, and then he's kind of like, huh. And then we spend all the time being like, what's up with this flower, right? Like, as the viewer. Well, okay. Until so, this episode. Until this episode. I, he was cursed with this this grass curse a long time ago. That happens early, earlier in the show. But then, mm-hmm. like, the um, there was, like, that that goo that healed everything. That like remember it healed the lich into sweet pea. That's right. Oh yeah. And I think the goo got on Finn's arm, and it made the grass curse grow into the flower. Oh wow! This actually oh. helps with the end of this episode. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Got it. So now there's this flower, and now Doctor mm-hmm. is like, "Hey, that flower needs to be healthy, and it's tied to how you feel." So I order you to have fun. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously he's like. I think he says like she's like, are you feeling sad? He goes, I'm feeling nothing right now. Yeah, that's dark. And um, then he's like, okay, well, have fun. He's like, okay, you want to go out with me? And she's like, like on a date. He's like, yeah, why not? It'd be fun, right? She's like, I don't date patients. He's like, okay, well, I'm just gonna go make out with a uh, crab princess then. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which now he dated flame princess. They couldn't kiss for obvious reasons. She's a flame. Um. Now he's talking about making out. Which feels like an like a, a a maturity level up for Finn, where you're like, oh, he he's now at the age where he wants to make out with girls, and then he's like courting them and going for it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, huh? He's, Finn's not this little kid anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's all a metaphor. He's like teenage. <laughs> he, he's teenage Finn. Yeah, this yeah. is <clears throat> this is the like like the rebound sex episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like the the language that they can use to describe that on on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I know, but it's interesting for Finn. like if Jake was doing that, I'd understand it more than if Finn, because this is Finn doing this and making out with girls. Even to me, is a little jarring. Let alone having sex with a certain character, which we can discuss later. Um, yeah. That was that was more directly uh, <laughs> yeah. and explicit, less of a metaphor. Um, so yeah, then he goes out and he's going to go and he goes to like a beach party, right? Or uh, on the way he's on the way and he runs into a bee. Is that when it happens? Yeah. He's singing a sad song. Right. Oh, dragging his head through the mud. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we're introduced to Breezy, the bee who doesn't even notice Finn at first, just notices the flower. Right. Because, right. The the bees... Impregnate flowers? Is that how it works? They, I mean, they pollinate them. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forget the terminology. Yeah. Pollinate. Um, yeah. Pollinate. Yes. Yeah. So Breezy only notices the flower and then goes and tries to get close to the flower um, at the party and realizes that it's attached to Finn. And then Breezy and 
Finn start talking. Yeah. And there's like, this episode feels, it feels icky in a lot of ways. The weird relationship between Breezy and Finn is confusing. It's like she's helping him to feel good so that she can hook up with the flower, basically. They're weirdly being like codependent, I guess. Yeah. Like what there's something that they're trying to to make this episode about, and there's like so many levels of <laughs> of weird cartoon shit disguising it all. But I think I think this is this is just like the Finn is like depressed post breakup, like all the unhealthy things that people do when they're in that state and like the way that they start interacting with other people differently. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, but it's interesting. It's interesting because it is metaphors, but it's also very direct because they're doing the things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're seeing yeah. it. Um, and Finn has that moment where he's like, maybe I should just kiss one girl a lot and that'll make me feel something. Yeah. Or should I just kiss a lot of different girls and maybe that'll make me feel better? And then it's like, all right, here we go, you know. And then, yeah. and then he, you know, it's like, all right, we're gonna see how Finn deals with this now. Yeah. So so he does it, and uh, Finn goes on, and um, yeah, uh, Breezy does wingman him because mm-hmm. she, I guess, she wants him to be happy to get closer to him, and kind of to make the flower better, and then. And then yeah. if so then she helps him like uh make lanes with uh crab princess. I wanted to call her Crab Rangoon, but it's just <laughs> Crab Princess. And he dances his way into her heart. At this point too, we gotta we gotta talk about at this beach party, it's being DJed by Princess Bubblegum. Yes. And she's DJing some like crispy dance music. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's pretty great. And a really cool I I liked this one. Um when it comes back later in the episode, it was welcomed by me. And uh Finn dances up a storm, wins his way into Crab Prince's heart. He walks her home, and she's going to invite him in, but she can't because she lives underwater. And then he asks for a kiss, and she gives it. And he's like, but it's it's interesting. He's like so confident about it. You know what I mean? Like just a season ago, he was so like sheepish and had a tough time telling Princess Bubblegum the way he felt or whatever. And now he's just like outright asking these girls for kisses and stuff like making full on moves. Yeah. Well, cause yeah. he doesn't feel anything about it is, right. is the difference there. And he, he thinks that he's supposed to do this for whatever reason. Right. Like, like this mm-hmm. is, this is, these are like the natural steps that one takes when one's depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Very true. Um, and then, and it works and breezy's still there. And then isn't she like, then this is when he says, maybe I'll kiss a lot of princesses. And she's like, all right, let's go. And then it's a montage of them just hitting on princesses and him kissing them. All the different princesses. Mm-hmm. There's like snake princess. Is that one of them? Oh, I don't know who that was, but uh, yeah, she definitely hissed. Hissed? Yeah. Lizard princess. Lizard maybe it was. Princess. Lizard princess. Yeah. There's like the muscle princess. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Muscle princess had a really low voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, then there's uh, yeah, Frozen Yogurt Princess is back at the... Oh, yeah. Uh, at the, yeah this one's weird. At, yeah. Back at the um, at the treehouse. And she's standing there. And Jake comes in and is like, oh, she looks a lot like Flame Princess crossed and- with Princess Bubblegum. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, yeah. Finn weirdly, like, uh, this, is a, this is a weird moment. When he, he reacts, he's like, I'm not hung up on anybody. That's it. Screw you. Like, I'm out of here. And he leaves. And he's yelling at Jake. And he, like, never really 
is talking to frozen yogurt princess also she's like unbothered by it all it's just, it's kind of <laughs> odd to me when he leaves yeah. yeah yeah that was a little bit weird um yeah i thought that was odd and is the, and then is this when they've then he's like they're walking and then is this when they run into the other bees yeah this is where they run into the other bees um i mean basically at this point um i think that breezy is kind of just like you don't need all those girls you just need to be free and and have fun and be free and then breezy explains to finn basically the concept of like you know i'm destined to be a queen bee and if at any point i have any royal jelly i'll turn into a queen bee but i don't really want to do that because i want to stay free and somewhere in the middle of all that um you know she's like oh i have all this responsibility i'm supposed to have and finn's just like Oh man, that's such a drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then from there they're like, let's playfully just go adventure around. And then they run into the other bees. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then they yeah, then they run into the other bees. And is this their bee dad or is it just another bee that's like, you need to get home? Who's basically just like, I don't like these two species together. Yeah. Yeah. Call definitely a, a, a meat tube or something. What is he called? A baloney tube. A baloney tube. <laughs> a baloney tube. It, it <laughs> really calls Finn. felt like some on the nose, uh, racism, you know, racism there. Yeah. I had like a hillbilly kind of accent. <laughs> hillbilly and like no mixed race situation. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Did not feel good. Had like the sideways trucker hat, you know, they were, um, painting a clear picture there. Yeah. B known as Billy B. Billy, uh, well, <laughs> Billy B. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And and then then all these other male bees come out basically as like a pack to kick the shit out of Finn, and they do. He gets all bloodied, and this is when to save him, she's like, "I'm gonna go get this royal jelly." Yeah, and then she, um, she drinks a, it, transforms. Does, does a Sailor Moon transformation? Yeah, classic sequence. Yes, <laughs> and then um, she like mind like uses mind control powers to just take all of the bees and just push them away and they're like no this is our our end all hail the queen um and then she basically professes her love to finn she's like i thought i just loved the flower but i really think i love you as well and then finn's like oh man i don't really feel the same way i'm really just trying to be chill right now um and then she gets upset. She's like, I drank, I drank royal jelly for you, you know? And then she storms off. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And- Breezy's character is, is all over the place. Um, she really should have had a, I mean, she did kind of say, she did say, what if we made out? But it is like one of those things in movies where you're like, I get why you did that, but maybe you should have had a conversation before you like did this transformation thing. Right. Yeah, I know. I, it it felt like she didn't have a chance to because he was getting all beat up and shit, you know. Yeah, I mean it seemed like she was losing the ability to distinguish between this flower, which was sort of like the the love at first sight thing with her, and the fin that it was attached to. Yeah, yeah. very true. And then they get into this codependent thing where like she gives up her freedom just <laughs> Yeah. It is weird be with this flower thing i don't know it's weird but then she goes off she flies off into the horizon and then she's uh finn is out and now he's like dancing again and to the techno and he's with lsp hanging out 
And then she's like, hey, stop dancing like that. I already saw this. Didn't she say that? <laughs> yeah, I she s- says that. I already saw this. Stop. She goes, Finn, I know about your dirty deeds. And, we did, and now it's my turn. And then, like, let's do this. And then Finn's like, okay, because he still feels nothing, and kisses LSP. Now, that in itself is very weird. Right? And then he's then they stop, and she's like, what was that? And he goes, that's it. We, we made up, or whatever. We made out. And... I thought he. I thought he literally called it made up, which was weird to me. But and then she's like, I, "What did she say? I came. I didn't come for a dip in the pool. I want to jump into the deep end." Yeah. And yes. Finn's like, "I'm not a good swimmer." And she says, "It's okay. Don't be scared." L- Lifeguard LSP is on duty. Oh right, yeah. Gosh. And then it they like pan up to the sky, and then it and then it comes back like later when they're now asleep. And Finn's like covering himself in a blanket and like an ashamed thing. And it's like, oh, they clearly just fucked. <laughs> yeah. It, it, really he, wild. LSP. He, he's got the sheet over him and then he like pulls it up farther to cover himself. From <laughs> yeah, that was really you wild. I mean? it's pretty These unsettling. two characters. Finn has lost his way. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm surprised this never like comes back at all. We've been and like, it seems like the kind of thing LSP would hold on to and be like, we've been intimate, Finn. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's weird because LSP has done plenty of shit like that with a lot of characters actually. Like Gunther. Oh. <laughs> she she bangs Gunther? <laughs> yeah. I forgot. Orgalorg? Right. Orgalorg, yeah. <laughs> so after this, um, you know, basically there's like a singing sequence where Breezy as the queen bee re-emerges in the darkness and starts to sing like basically what seems like a love song to Finn. And we start to see like the environment change, the environment lights up, all of the fireflies are kind of getting brighter. And then Finn's flower gets like becomes more alive for a moment. And then Finn gets enchanted. And in the lyrics of the song, we hear, some stuff about love and then Finn stands up and all of a sudden sees an image of princess bubblegum. And she just says like, let love, um, let love guide you along the way. And then she's holding the Finn sword, right? The first appearance of the Finn sword. The first appearance Very of the interesting. Sword. That's a, the sword's there and it's her. Yeah. And yeah. it's a premonition. It's not like it doesn't actually exist yet. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the, uh, the song comes to like a climax and the flower bursts into a tree that goes up out taller than the whole forest out of Finn's arm and then like explode pops off and then under this trunk over Finn's arm there's just like a new arm that has emerged with like goop on it and then we see with honey with honey right with honey <laughs> and then we see Finn has a new hand and arm with the sprout coming out of coming out of his palm. And then he has he's like all stoked that he's got a new arm and some sick music plays, like celebratory music plays. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool stuff. And then <laughs> and then but then now the flower's down, then Breezy gets to pick up the flower. Yeah. And then so that's kind of they're both kind of completing their arcs. Mm-hmm. And then isn't LSP like Finn, you got your arm back? Oh yeah, Finn! Yeah. Oh my God, you got your. Arm it's also back. a few things to point out about Finn's escapades with the ladies. First off, he's pulling them all while he only has one arm, 
which is kind of impressive. <laughs> They're not viewing him as a freak or anything, which is cool. Um, secondly, he's only going after princesses. It's all the princesses that he's making out with, not like anyone else really in this episode. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. We've established that's not cool behavior. <laughs> it's yeah. his type. It's his type. I was I was thinking, I was like, man, Ice King would be so jealous to hear about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Are all the other, like, Princess Bubblegum said no. One of the grounds being she's so much older than him. Are these other princesses older than him? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. She's the only really old one. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, Flame Princess for sure is like the same age. Right. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. Well, two two loose observations. Um, another observation was the snail. Did you see it? No, I did not see the snail. Sean, did you see the snail? Yes, I saw the snail. Nick, did you see the snail? No. Oh, man. Do we have a Congratulations Sean song? Play that Congratulations Sean theme song. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> one second, one second. I'm sorry. Congratulations, Sean. Sean the human. So, as soon as they, <laughs> uh, where where was it? So, as soon as they cut to the party that PB is DJing, there's like the first cut to her at the tables, and then they cut to the party and everyone dancing. And in the foreground, really tiny, is the snail. Yeah, right Dang. there. Yeah. Dang. So. Yeah, there it is. Good job, Kinda Sean. Right in the middle of the screen. Yeah, it was Dang, yeah. very hidden. Yeah, thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you. Cool. I don't know. Haven't done a song in a long time. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna move on to miscellaneous. But first, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for listening. If you want to support this podcast, go to Anchor.fm/slash Adventure Guys Podcast. We're on social media. Follow us. Um, Send us an email. Did you see the mail? Gmail.com and uh, leave us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Those help us in the algorithm. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Do okay. it. Get what? in there. What? Eric, you Let's don't, go. you don't like it. <laughs> try and try and say it faster. Like it's at the end of a commercial. Oh yeah. Um, but which part? Thank you very much, Ooh. or just all of it? Never mind. All of it. Give us five, five <laughs> seconds. Yeah, five star review and another podcast you're listening to. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Something like that. <laughs> I like that. I'm trying to get the the, the patter right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. yes sorry. Yeah, all right. So we, this was uh, storyboarded and written by Jesse Moynihan and Derek Ballard. Oh, yeah. There you go. Tell me about Derek Ballard. Derek Ballard only did two episodes of Adventure Time, both with Jesse Moynihan. 
This is the first, Breezy, and the second one is Nemesis, cool. which is just a few episodes later. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, the Peacemaster. I don't, I don't remember that episode. Mm. Um, but yeah, and Jesse Moynihan. I mean, we've ripped through a lot of Jesse Moynihan's. We haven't seen one in too long. I guess he did. He did so many. Yeah. So, well, we'll, we're going to get some more in there. But yeah. Well, Eric already said it, but this was the first appearance of the Fin Sword. Right. Yes, that's some real mania. That's some good miscellaneous mania <laughs> yeah. business. Totally. Got anything else? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not. So that whole scene, like, I'm not even really sure, like, why the Finn sword is there, like, what it means, like, why why was Finn seeing that at the time? Well, like, for me, it feels like an Easter egg because we see the bud come out of his hand, and eventually he learns that he can turn that bud into, like, a sword. You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, that's me probably grasping for straws. But eventually eventually, the bud in his hand is, like, a weapon that he can use, right? Yeah. Who that it turns into the fin sword, which then yeah. turns into fern. Yeah. I kind of feel like the point of that scene was, like, Basically, he had a vision that was like, yo, trust in your feelings. Just trust in whatever you're feeling and you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, let love guide your way. Like, it was kind of like, it was kind of like a moment of Finn just snapping out of the funk he was in. Ah, You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the purpose that that was supposed to serve, kind of. Who knows why we saw the sword? Yeah. Yeah. It feels bigger, but I know what you mean. Yeah, why was Princess Bubblegum the one holding it? Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like in his subconscious, that's still the ideal partner or something. And she's bringing him a, a part of himself back to him. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he's not, he's not clearly not fully over. I mean, Jake was intuiting the same thing that he's still not over princess. Yeah. Uh, and Jake's also very insightful in that way. I'm looking at some of the other stuff that's on here and uh, uh, there's like some trivia. I mean, there's a lot of new princesses. I can't say the word princesses fast. I keep running through it. But there's a bunch of princesses in this for the first time. Um, This is good. I'm not a fan. Have you ever listened to The Best Show with Tom Sharpling, Eric? Uh, It's been like a real long time since I checked it out. I mean, I love Tom Sharpling because he's Greg Universe. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, But... Yeah, I never got into the best show. Me neither, but there are people out there who like love it, like it, they're like diehards for it. And apparently this might be maybe Jesse Moynihan is cuz they said on there there's a fictional band in the best show and the name of that band is Mother 13 and Princess Bubblegum is playing a Mother 13 record. <laughs> so that's quite deep. <laughs> That'd be Sean and I with Comedy Bang Bang if yeah. we ever were making a show. Yeah, for sure. Comedy bang bang. That's great. Comedy bing bong. Comedy bing bag. <laughs> um, yeah. There's other stuff. Nothing else is really catching my fancy. Yeah, me either. Should we go down the rabbit hole? Well, there's some. We have another order of business. We do. That's very important. You want to do this now, or you want to go down the rabbit hole? Um, what's the other order of business? We could check the mail. We got we got a we got mail we got mail let's check the mail yeah we've got a couple orders of business yeah 
This this is a bonus, a big size up. Mail time. Yeah. Mail. Mail. Oh my god. Oh my god. This is a big one. Did you read this one? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is my first time seeing this one. I've been traveling the last few days just with the uh the, the wedding. Do you want to read it all, or like do you want to skim it? Um. Um, I, I do the, the I saw I, earlier from from Derek yeah, who and I, emailed us a few episodes back. Yeah. Uh yeah. Derek toured with um Joker's Republic uh when the Holophonics were on tour in twenty twenty. Sweet. Um the, I, all I, I said, oh my god, I don't know if you could hear it. I mean he yeah, he Emailed us about being the podcast historian and was it was uh like really stoked to like catch himself. I see here it just said and he was talking about how he was gonna catch up. Now, Sean, this is for you. So okay. I didn't exactly rage binge the remaining episodes, oh, but yes. I caught up today. <laughs> I love it. Rage, rage binge, binge entering the lexicon. Thank you. Uh thank you, Dirk. And I've been listening while I work occasionally and helps the day go by faster we've heard a couple people say they listen to us at work sometimes which makes me happy yeah me too <laughs> that we could be like uh, soundtracking that mm-hmm. um well, okay eric did you did, I, I haven't read through this but if you have uh so let's see i think my streak of snail sightings in a row tops out at 11 is what he he saw and then Nick, you've extended your streak of not seeing the snail now to nine. Oh shit! <laughs> it's been a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna fix that. I do hear that he says he had no clue Spotify doesn't pay podcasters until we said something. We're like whistleblowers. <laughs> yeah, and we—it's funny because we distribute our our podcast through Spotify. <laughs> They you, bought Anchor and Anchor now merged just into Spotify. Yeah, you might have just heard us read an ad for Spotify. <laughs> yeah, probably. But that's fine. Um, I'm down for this. He does, you know, thank you, Derek, for for agreeing that it's not cool. Um, he, he said it'd be a shame if you let your listeners know the best way to listen to the podcast um, if you get a kickback from streams. He listens on Audible, which is really cool. I always wondered if anyone was there. Um I don't know if any any anyone's paying per stream. Theoretically, we would get it on YouTube, but like we haven't really been participating in that. Um, oh, well, we we can't make money on YouTube until we get to a thousand subscribers on the channel, right? But that would be the best if we were built if we were working that. Um, then we could start getting paid. YouTube but- money just keeps going down and down. It is by far the worst platform for like per stream revenue, right? But for podcasting what's our what's the best option i mean something's better than nothing you're talking about point zero 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 nine cents or mm. something per, per stream or something yeah so i don't know i think the best way is like give us some money at anchor.fm slash adventure guys podcast to make up for literally no streaming revenue we will do ads too we've talked about this before but if anyone has a band or a service or a business and they want to do an ad email us at did you see the mail gmail.com we'll do it and then just like telling people to listen to it is also probably the best thing you can do to support the podcast yes um, i a lot yeah. of people have been listening to this and i'm a little bit confused as to 
how or or why that like our audience our- keeps growing but like when we post episodes consecutively like week after week like it's it's very noticeable that like the podcast does well like people are listening i know we had a like our week we had a week last week was like our best week since like august of last summer i think we had two consecutive oh, weeks yeah. in there a row is. over two 200 plays for yeah. the for the first time yeah yeah interesting stuff well this will go up uh quick too so let's see what happens um yeah so people are listening thank you for for, for finding us like we've got dedicated listeners like derek so thank you derek um and then eric does talk about eric he, he mentions in here joker's republic yeah so um but you did you did recognize the name yeah yeah so you you good brother i haven't met you but maybe i will uh at another point that'd be cool um um but yeah and we talk about like connecting in here right i don't want to i didn't read through all this stuff but uh yeah i haven't i haven't seen joker's republic play since that tour i guess i mean i'm more local now they're from jersey yeah oh cool um <clears throat> yeah hopefully we can get something going with them i i was almost able to do a show with them last summer but it didn't come together a solo show hmm. maybe we'll make something happen soon. yeah um yeah he was talking about doing the live podcast in here did you read this part yeah that would be fun with doing it um doing it with our friends or with our bands and then he was talking about some other stuff we could do like some cool ideas in here um to find i don't know i i like this email a lot i don't want to give away some of these ideas we should we should talk about it and go on the um on the tangent so it's fun um thank you derek for the email super cool um really appreciate it you want to go down the rabbit hole brother oh yeah down the rabbit hole yeah okay let's go down the rabbit hole then we have the other stuff okay so i did breezy and getting like really weird stuff lots of music um and weird music videos just oh this is interesting search for breezy i just gave away this is not breezy but this is just a related video i just gave away three thousand dollars to a bully i got robbed huh why what oh, oh, this is from the the youtubers called oh the breezy he's called breezy mako for every year she's been alive so pretty much that's three grand so what i'm gonna do is plant that money a hundred dollar bills all over the house different spots okay i don't, I don't yeah I, we don't need to I know about do that this. guy's story okay here's breezy william holden movie from 1973 it's just called breezy I wonder if this is cool. what if what if we unlock some new miscellaneous mania within this? <laughs> Eric, do you hate down the rabbit hole? <laughs> we just watched a JP Morgan commercial. Oh yeah. That part I hated. <laughs> <laughs> Got this cool sketch looking. Oh my internet my internet's doing great right now. That was ironic. Yes, it's not doing great. That was a sarcastic comment. Oh, here we go. Okay, interesting. Okay, so it's 70s. It's shot on film. We're in California right now. Uh, nice looking young lady. Oh, this guy's driving her. Kind of 
driving her kind of like Breezy was on Finn's back. Remember? This is very similar. Okay, in a way. Yeah. There's an age difference. He's older. She's younger. Oh, now the main guy's in a sauna? Yeah, he's like get, getting advice from a, a bud. Do does do our guys ever go in a... I feel like Finn and Jake would love a sauna. Jake would kill it in a sauna. Oh, Jake <laughs> is all about a sauna. They do hot tubs. Oh, does does Jake ever go in a sauna? I don't know Definitely. about a sauna proper. At some point, he's got to be in it. He's got to be in a sauna, sauna at some point. Um. Okay. Oh, Clint would. Oh, here's like a reggaeton. Breezy is a good name for an MC or a singer. All right, Eric, I'll I'll spare us any more rabbit holing. Um, let's go to our next point of business as this episode just keeps going. Yeah. Which is to talk about 10,000 Gex. Oh, yeah. I, I was hoping that. we would do that up front, but then yeah. that would have been a better... Eric, you could always cut it out and put it up before uh, Tech Talk. Oh, yeah, no, you're not going to do that. Feel free if you want to do that. Um, did you listen to 10,000 Gex? Yes. What is there any theme song to play before this or no? <laughs> we don't need a 100 Gex theme song. I just might more like... No, that would do take we, too long. Do we have like a, a, mu- like a discussion music club... You could do book club <laughs> theme song. That's fine. Book club th- theme song. Play that uh, music club. I'll just, yeah. Play that Adventure Guys music club theme song. You can learn something new today. Expand your mind the old-fashioned way. Adventure Guys music club. club. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. It's really good. Yeah. So it's a good album. Starts with starts the THX sound. THX <laughs> sound. It starts from nothing in long form. Literally, how they is literally burned how like is, fifteen seconds doing this? How has no one ever done that before? That's like one of the greatest album opening ideas I know of all time. Do you think anyone has done it before? Yes. Who's done it? I don't know, but it has to exist at this point. Yeah. Then it goes into this, this, this ref. This riff reminds me of something. Sounds like some 41. Yeah. So does yeah. Hollywood Baby. Yeah. This and Hollywood Baby sound like some 41. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. I love it. Two minutes and 17 seconds. Let's go. I'm Googling the THX theme song. I just love... Vocal processing is picking up right where they left off on the last record. Yeah. There's all of this um, aggressive tuning. I love that. There is, but for somehow the vocals sound, it's a little bit different than the last record. They're a little more natural. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, like there are, there is singing on this record that's not completely pitch shifted. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's, that's definitely interesting. Um, this the form of this song, Eric. Remember we talked about it song sounds, form. It's like um the fucking Papa Roach riff. Oh, it is like Papa Roach. Oh right. Which uh last resort? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's a good That's call. That's what it is. No, see then. Well, then we have seven five seven. Then we go to Hollywood Baby. This one's like some forty one. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, this is super. Uh, this right here. So great. It's cool. Um, yeah, it's just, and, and noticeably, the biggest difference is there's live drums all over the record. Yes. There are. And they process it, and there are samples and all that shit, but it's a real drummer. I was saying to Sean, I mean, we can go keep going track by track, but one of my big takeaways from the album, which I thought was interesting, was that. I don't know. It's hard to, the, I feel like the first album is going to go down as this like l- completely legendary album. And it, cause it was so unique. And I think some of the more computer based parts of the sound felt more, a little more distinct and like gecky, but if, but what I think, but I think what they did on this record was smart to like go towards more of these real instruments, more guitars, real drums, because then it becomes a little more timeless and they're moving. Cause I think that first album is amazing and it spawned like hyper pop, like this whole subgenre and playlist and everything. And there's a lot of people doing it. So it's like, if they didn't move forward, they'd be forever cursed to be in this one little box. So I think them expanding it and going for something that's a little more timeless and bigger is smart for the longevity of a hundred gex, you know? Like there's definitely been bands that come out, they nail this sound. It's super cool, and they're. But then, as time keeps going, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, I loved that sound in 2000, whatever." You know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. So I, I kind of, I kind of dig the philosophy of what they did here, as much as I, you know, loved some of the more computer sounds. But yeah, they're still in there. Yeah, they definitely are. I was also concerned that you know this is their major label debut that there wouldn't be um any more weird shit on it um like sean our favorite songs on uh, i need help can we can we uh queue I, up i need help immediately i need help on a thousand gex yeah, yeah i need help immediately gex. i need help immediately as well as gek 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 yeah gek 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 <laughs> is good too hold on we got to hear it right from the beginning right so these are all midi samples again i need help immediately it's like a troll it's It's, funny it's It's also like captain (laughs) beefart But at this point, we're getting into like legitimate sound collage. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, it's like I wonder if like that song and some of the other things like that, where it was like they just had these little ideas of things that never actually spawned into anything else, and they were like, let's just cut all this shit together, yeah, and make or, a sound collage. Or I know? wonder if like Dylan Brady, what's so cool is like all the sounds, and I think Laura does a lot of production too, but like, th- like there's so many like the crazy ass sounds, right? And I think they both produce. I wonder if they like collect them. Like like that sound was just like making sounds, collecting it, and being like, "I'll use this tone later" or something. Yeah. And then maybe they just threw them all. That's mm-hmm. a really good point. Yeah. But anyway, they didn't let us down. They did put some weird shit on this album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean, one million. One million dollars is. I love one million dollars. Um. Yeah, woman. Well, oh, yeah. The most wanted person in the United States is really good. Is incredible. <laughs> Love this. Who are some. What does this sound like? 
Oh, right. It reminds, that sound reminds me of like the House of Pain song, but... Um, like contemporaries sort of, like, of Sublime. I would say it's like kind of like Beck. Beck? Like, like Midnight Vultures era Beck. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that's a really good one. Um, there's the song Billy Knows Jamie, which is has like one of the most brutal breakdowns I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have to hear that breakdown. With, with the death grip snare? And it's like half of the song. The fucking distortion. What's what's so noticeable about this breakdown uh-huh. is that everywhere else on the album, the side chain compressor uh-huh. compression is out of control. Yeah. Except for there. Yeah. It's just like, no, let it fucking ride. It's loud everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're hitting everything so hard that it's breaking up. Like it's yeah. literally breaking up like a blown out amp. <laughs> yeah. I love that shit. I love that in moderation, like sometimes you're you're hearing records where it's like at the very end after the song was mixed, some processing was made that is just making the entire track break up, which like it's like almost this meta thing that it rev- it it takes you in a way out of the experience of listening to the stereophonic sound world when like there are literal cutouts in the in the file because of the processing at the end. You know what I mean? And like another cla- uh, another example of that is this is off of Bon Iver record twenty two a million. There's like this amazing song where oh, like yeah. at the climax of the song, like it, it just starts to break up. Like the entire track just like starts to break up. But it's like more of like a weird like clocking error trick thing that he did. So like all of a sudden there's all this clocking problems like on the track but it was done like in the master phase you, you know mm, what i mean yeah. so it's not like an individual instrument it's just like the whole wave file is breaking up or whatever and um yeah i i really love that that it's type of shit so good i was looking at who mixed it so they obviously um produce they produce it together dylan and laura that's my correction um which is interesting because i feel like dylan gets a lot of the shine like and Laura doesn't uh, in terms of like, oh, he's such a cool producer. So it's very interesting. I, I got to I gotta correct that there. Um, it was mixed by, most of the album was mixed by Jeff Ellis, who Jeff Ellis is the guy who mixed and engineered the Frank Ocean records, which is like a lifetime pass uh, for a career of yeah. like p- working on cool music. Um, and then the f- two songs, the first song and the fourth song, which we were going to talk about next, were mixed by Spike Stent, He's like one of the biggest mixers in the entire world right now. Um, like he, the dude is just like in Fuego. He did, he did the new Gorillas record, John Mayer, Miley Cyrus. Look at this, Charlie XCX, Post Malone, Cardi B, Elton John. I love that this guy's mixing. He's 10, all over the 10, place. Ten thousand gecks. Um, he, um, yeah. And so he mixed the Dumbest Girl Alive, and then he mixed. 
put in the running for one of the best songs on the album and where we have to talk next is about the ska on the album particularly frog on the floor this song was made for nick because he loves frogs i love frogs eric loves frogs too yeah Oregon. Yeah. Now, Eric, what do you... So, okay, let's just talk about the ska moments on the record, because there's... On the first record, there's just Stupid Horse. Yeah. And Stupid Horse, everyone calls is a ska song, but it's like also like a, like a Six Flags theme song or something. Um, <laughs> here, on this record, they're going full ska. So, the first two songs we heard, we heard Me, 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 which there's some ska on this. And that was our first, the first thing we heard from the record. Then there's Doritos and Fritos. Then we get two more songs in this record. Those songs had ska on them. Then we get two pretty much full blown ska songs on the record. Frog on the floor, and I got my tooth removed. Yeah. Now, yeah. Frog on the floor is cool, and it has like the sort of like R and B opening, and with the the pitch shift vocals. I got my tooth removed after this soul opening. You gotta hear this shit. Full on horn section. I love it. Now, here we go. Like, real big fish shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, now, okay. Eric, what are you going to. What now, do you think? As an authority on the subject, what do you think? I So. Have they spoken about ska very much? It seems like they avoid talking about it. Okay, so the only time they ever talked about it that I could understand on but, A Thousand Gex was when they went on Adult Swim and uh, they did like a very short interview, but then they did a couple of songs and someone was like, oh yeah, cool. Like that song Stupid Horse is, is a ska song. And, and they just say in the moment, they're like, no, yeah, we're we're a ska band, <laughs> and then that that was that's all they said of it. And then I believe on this new um, round of interviews, it was either with like Rolling Stone or Pitchfork, one of those two. Oh, I um, wanted, I they wanted... talked directly about ska. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, what do they have two. to say about it? Because they do a lot of the the snare with the guitar upbeat thing, which, yeah. which is like such a to get to get to get the, the like bordering on polka thing. Yeah. It, that gets kind of campy. It's so well, like, it's like no doubt did it like uh, for like eight measures in the nineties. And then like everyone wants to do that bullshit and like thinking that like yeah. a very surface level version of what ska is. And it's not, it's not, it's really not when they drop into like the real ska beat. And then yeah. they also have like a distortion guitar playing yeah. at the same time it's like uh everything is like here but yeah. it doesn't sound like they understand like the previous 60 years of this genre yeah it's like they they got no, like but they got that's... like a surface level impression of it somewhere and they're using it and they think it's cool but like they, they could go so much deeper it's like I, i'm confused no about that's like the magic from. that's the magic of 100 gex though is that they don't go deeper yeah <laughs> because if you go deeper you get in you get lost I think. And I think what's this is the, I hear what you're saying, Eric. What I think about 100 Gex that is so cool and I think we're all responding to is that they're sort of able to use like like eighth grade brain or something. Like 
14 year old brain of just going or fi- maybe maybe 16 or 14, 15, 16 of just what would be really cool and what do I like? Like they never it doesn't feel like like and that's I guess that's where I'm g- going to is like like using a Papa Roach riff like you're 15 years old, you're eighth grade or something 14. You're like Papa Roach last resort kind of is kind of sick. <laughs> You hear you hear real big fish. You're like, it's fucking sick. You hear Eminem or House of Pain or Beastie Boys. You're like, this is pretty sick. And I think they've like maintained a bit of that sort of pure essence and are tapping into it, especially for millennials. And they're just putting together all this like weird '90s nostalgia stuff that we just sort of innately liked before we felt like we had to go back. And I think the surface levelness of it all and the jamming it together is what pisses off some people especially who are a little older or have learned more and i i I don't know that's what i that that's that's what i think um i know what you mean though like you're like they're not using it and and this is like so this is like an interesting thing when i first heard them i kind of thought they were like sort of like joking like a joke band because like especially in the way they're using scott you're like this is almost like a comedy like satire song or something and that's how i felt about the whole first record and then i got deeper into it and i started connecting with that 14 year old brain of like nah this is just fun and that's kind of what i think they're doing like across the board right it's like they don't i don't it's like they're just cherry picking from all these things and throwing it in um I, i did find an interview here that says um the genres you're talking about um, are faithfully reproduced, be it new metal, third wave ska, pop punk. Um, how satisfying is it to recreate these sounds? And they say, like, we love new metal. We love ska. We put love into anything we're making, each and everything. We're not ha- half-assing any of this. And Dylan Brace says, that's our whole thing. <laughs> so it seems like they're just, they're just doing it and doing it in their own way. And I don't know. But anyway... Yeah, what, what do you make what do you make of that when i say that because i guess that's it's got to make as someone who's put a lot of time into understanding the history of scott it's got to feel weird I, I guess that approach but yeah it, yeah yeah they're doing it uh, yeah because it, it says like oh yeah like the, the he's asking them about third wave ska yeah uh being faithfully reproduced and they're like yes we love ska but like it's not a faithful reproduction it's like they kind of just like grabbed some parts of it and like meshed it all up with other stuff. It's like, yeah. and the parts that they grabbed were like very much like the stereotype cliche preconceived notions like of yeah. 90s ska. So, but same, same of new metal and pop punk. Yeah. But new metal doesn't have like, like this crazy, like cultural tradition dating back like, you know, decades. Mm, yeah. Right. Like there's, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of baggage to like taking a ska thing, right? Like I, that's interesting. I don't know if other people view it like that. I think people just view ska as they third don't. Wave ska. I know they do, right? And that's why it's infuriating yeah. to ska fans because there's so much more there, and it's mm-hmm. like you can you can do, be like, okay, like we're having fun with this. We took like some really fish bits and like we mashed it up into like yeah. this other shit. But they're like that that little snippet of that interview saying like oh we're faith- faithfully well, no, reproducing they, third the, the, the interviewer said you you faithfully reproduce ska yeah the interview said that the interviewer and then take. they said 
Yeah, well, we do our best job. We love all of this music, so we just are serious about it. But it doesn't sound like they're serious about it. It sounds like they're they're intentionally being the, flippant about well, that, it. And that's the fun. That right there, I think, is the fun of Gex. And that's that's the crux, I think, yeah. of what they're doing. Like, they're very flippant with all of it, yeah. I think. I think that sometimes... Like, throwing a Papa Roach riff into a trap verse while it's fucking distorted to all hell is pretty flippant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I know what you mean, and it's it's like I, I, so I like what they're doing. Yeah, it's great. I get it, but just me wanting to go a level deeper. It's like I am unsure whether the artist understands the extent of what they're doing when they yeah. when they take Scott, like however much of Scott they're taking, however they're using it. I, as the the listener can't tell it, like, I, I can't tell what their intent really right. is yeah but is that that's important for you yeah okay. well i think for me I, yeah i i think that sometimes this music sounds to me like they're going after different emotions or making you feel different things and like unfortunately i think that sometimes they're like we're gonna go after something that sounds goofy or we're gonna go after something that sounds quizzical or we're going to go after something that sounds unbelievably aggressive but you know obviously like with that breakdown they're like we're going to like completely on the nose just go way overboard with everything we're doing right and i think sometimes you know i get the sense that they're like anytime there's a ska moment we are trying to evoke something that's either lighthearted or like campy like i think that yeah and and that's obviously we know that that's not like what the history of scott is guys. but i think that what they're trying to do is they're like oh we're just going to evoke something that's just kind of like lighthearted and playful for a second and yeah, like yeah. And, and tapping then, into the cultural the, the cultural uh knowledge and, of 90 scott right and i can't tell if they know that there's more to ska than that, and they're just choosing to take this part of it, I don't know or if, if they think that that's the totality. Right. Yeah. But I don't know if it matters. That's I, I, that's like I don't. It's the same thing like when you see like a blues, like young kids playing the blues, or like white person reggae or or funk or something, and they're just doing sublime covers. You know what I mean? Like you're like, do these kids know the history of the blues? And it's yeah. and. And you're sort of like, maybe, but I don't, do you know what I mean? Like, does it matter for you as a fan of, of, of the music and a student and like a lifelong Scott person? I do get it. I guess I'm just thinking more macroly in art. Do you need to know the full tradition or can you just be free to just sort of cherry pick whatever little bits and bobs you want and and run with it? I will say I'm going to go to a different culture of music um for a second yeah i just want to say eric i'm not dismissing your thoughts i just it it makes me then have to makes me poses the question for myself yeah yeah well what what i'm going to say nick is that the difference between the analogy of the blues thing and this is that this is like monetized for a major record label thing right and in i'm studying a great deal of like afro-cuban music and folkloric cuban music right now and that is a culture where people are actually afraid 
to teach you if they don't trust you. Mm. And the reason is because oh, there are a lot of people who are like, they go learn like a rhythm from like a sacred Cuban piece of music. And then they just take it the day after they learned it for the first time and they go sample it and put it on like a record or whatever. Right. And for that culture of Cuban music, that is considered that's, that's considered offensive because that music, it's like the tradition that you learn and learn and learn and learn for a very long time before you even give your first community performance, let alone performing at any high, high level. So like there are like communities and cultures where it's like, you know, like the, the distillation of like the, it's purest form and keeping that intact is like, right. There are some people who like, just don't want to see that taken and put Flippantly into, taken. Like, into collage yeah. art, you know, that's interesting. And I, I think it, I think a lot of my uh, mindset is definitely based on the fact that Eichlers exists, uh-huh. fellow Bad Time Records artist Eichlers, who is doing like an intersection of ska and hyperpop, and is very clearly aware of the cultural context right. of ska, yeah. like, and you know, uses more poppy elements. But like, it there's there's no question in listening to Eichlers' music that he understands the totality of ska. Right. Yeah. And, but I guess and when he's picking things out of that genre to use, like, you know, that like, he knows that, that he's making a choice. Right. Yeah. I just, I still don't know if I guess I'm, I think that points to a deeper problem probably with ska that it has this rich tradition, but then in everyone's cultural brains, it's like this snippet of a few years in the nineties where it was real big fish and the boss tones and stuff. Right. Like, and it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's very true. Like why, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess, I guess that's probably why there's some people, are there certain, there's probably people who don't like third wave. Right. Cause they're like, I like the other shit. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And it gives it a bad name. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's weird because the ska on 10,000 Gex. Yeah it's a new pastiche of ska that hasn't existed yet. Yeah. And the, the elements that they're combining are unique to yeah. the, to this record. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, they're making something new out of it. Yeah. But they're combining these things in a way that seems like, I just, I can't tell if they, right. if they understand what they're doing. Right. But I think that's what makes it cool. Cause it's new. I guess that's, or something about it but i hear what you're saying about wanting yeah I, I i get it yeah some of the most interesting i feel like new inventions in music and stuff have in the past come out of when someone doesn't fully understand what they're doing and they're trying to just make a a new thing a, a, a new a new thing and it's just going to be different you know and and that that just is kind of what it is you know and i think that a lot of in a lot of ways this band is just like an art project of like, oh, we love so many different kinds of music and we're just going to blend them up and just see what comes out the other side. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's very interesting. I mean, and it is interesting that they're taking, I mean, I think it's also interesting to think about the third wave thing. Cause it's like, it feels a lot of this is pulled basically from nineties music. 
where they're putting or early to early 2000s where they're like taking a lot of that kind of music and smashing it together yeah and it's almost like i think this band also like due to like the way trends work and time works it makes them more interesting because that kind of stuff is interesting again to us right now and then they're able to recontextualize it and like it all lives next to each other Mm -hmm. right yeah this definitely feels like a night yeah total 90s and 2000s time capsule in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. it's cool yeah but it's cooler that it's now too yeah i hear you um how how old are they they're like 29 or something yeah yeah something like that i think yeah they met i believe they met like in detroit doing like electronic music things and then St. Louis or St. Louis. Yeah. 29 for Dylan Brady. And then they moved to different cities and that the first record was basically sending logic files back and forth. Like while one of them lived in Chicago and one of them or something and one of them lived in LA and they were just like just sharing uh, logic files and just like adding stuff to each other's songs. And then they got to this. That's pretty much how (laughs) all hyper pop is happening now just like online collaborations yeah yeah it's crazy yeah it's interesting too i think like a couple maybe it was 100 gex but like maybe it was charlie xcx like a few people who are like hyper pop people have i think been like not wanting to be called hyper pop <laughs> i mean this is the kind of thing where you just they just know that it's like oh like if i if i stay here it's gonna you know just stick here and they did an interview that i want to i do want to hear about it which is they did with switched on pop which is that cool podcast um oh yeah they also bring up equally influenced by primus and eddie van halen there's definitely some primus i think especially on doritos and fritos which is my favorite song on the record i think the way they use ska on that one is really cool that it is primacy the, the production the melodies the lyrics that's my favorite song yeah. Do you have a favorite That's song, great. Eric? I think the strongest song is like the one that they led with, like Me, 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 I think is yeah. like the, which is like disappointing that they- They led with it? Yeah. Ah. But I- I appreciate they buried it as the last track on the mm-hmm. album at least, but- Yeah. Wow, you don't like leading with your best song? I think that there's something about a lead single- yeah. that can qualify a song to take that role mm-hmm. without it being the best song on the album. Mm-hmm. And if your lead single is also the best song on your album, then then I think the rest of the album suffers because that slot, can, you can have two different songs occupy two equally important roles. Yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but um, I mean with like the Beatles and stuff like that, there's definitely examples of like, what's my favorite song off Sgt. Pepper? And it's like some deep cut track that was yeah. definitely not with a little help from my friends or whatever the hell was the lead single yeah. on that yeah. record. But what's know? interesting is that the, the big, the big single on the record is Hollywood baby and not me, me, me. Yeah. So it's like, they saved the big single for a little bit deeper in yeah. to the yeah. album campaign. Interesting. Um, which is an interesting move. Yeah. I love Doritos and Fritos. That's your favorite? I love I I love the I love the uh guitar harmonic shit. Oh yeah. You know, and and just that whole 
world that they're creating, which like I feel like you haven't been able to find anything like that. Like it, that in 30 years. It's really unique. Yeah, I love this. Outside of like battles, it's like who's doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like 90s shit and then battles and then now Yeah, this, you yeah know? I, I definitely hear the Primus influences on, on this. Yeah, Primus. Also, the lyrics are just great. Yeah. I went to Greece to get something to eat. Hard to please. <laughs> I'll punch a referee. I bruise my knee. I'm pissing in how the many, breeze. How many um, vocal takes do you think they do? I bet I bet they like it because it doesn't sound like you would need to do a million, but I bet they do a lot. I bet there's like a hundred takes. Yeah. This melody is pretty and great. And now we're just into like 2020's classic top line, like pop top line. That's. Then you get a little ska going. Yeah. A little- I, I, when this, when this, the beat drops in, it is one of the more satisfying moments on this record. I do love the technique of oh. like. Sorry. Is that a strat? The upstrokes? Oh, yeah. Calling back to last week. Was that a strat? Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind using, of flanged, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Use, now see, using a strat in ska, I think is a little bit of an amateur. That's kind weird. Of, yeah, um, I get it. But it worked I, in this case. We didn't even notice it at first, which is a good call. Well, I did kind of okay. notice that, like, all the ska that they were doing, even even down to the guitar tone, sounded like '90s stereotype kind uh-huh. of stuff like that. Because, like, like kids from our generation and younger, like strats were very popular. Like I know we had a separate conversation about this. It's like, it's yeah. like the first guitar you get and then you, you start playing music that it's not suited for. I think the kind of, it's not just that strats are coming back this year. I think the kind of music that strats are suited for it's is coming, coming back. back this year. That's smart. I don't think that ska is suited for Stratocaster tone. Mm. We have not talked yet about, um, big legendary, uh, musician, Who's on this record? Oh yeah, <laughs> Josh, Josh Freese. <laughs> Josh Freese did the drums. Did drums on this record. Son of on... of famous uh, Disneyland talent buyer Stan Freese. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, Josh Freese's dad booked the Holophonics to play at Disneyland a long time ago. Wow, oh, that's, that's cool. crazy. <laughs> yeah, um, so if you don't know him from the Vandals, then Devo. Here we go. Guns and Roses for Perfect Circle. Perfect Circle. Nine Inch Nails. Uh, Weezer. Sublime <laughs> with Rome. Rome. <laughs> yeah, just uh, fucking everyone. Paramore. Paramore. He he's he filled in for Taylor Hawkins and the Foo Fighters. It's just insane. Yeah. He must just just never miss. Yeah, I get if you look at his Instagram presence, I believe that his family is kind of like at a point where like, I think that like literally his wife and kids like basically live on the road with him. Like that's what it seems like because he's always taking pictures with them backstage, like all over the world. Like it seems to be like one of those, like if I were him at this point and I've done all that stuff in my career, if anyone wants me to come on tour, it would be like, cool. You're bringing four people on tour and you're bringing housing and feeding four people on this tour. <laughs> yeah. If I were him, you know. Yeah, that's 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 a hard one. I know, but like it's like <laughs> but you know. Yeah. He can do whatever he wants. The Grateful Dead did it for decades. Yeah. 
Well, he played in the new M83 record. I'm looking at his... Who played in the horn section on this record is what I, I want to know. I looked it up, and it wasn't any ska people. It was, like, I think it was, like, session people. I looked it up. You sure it wasn't ska people? Yeah. Oh, uh, this one. Dave Ferris. This is Dave Ferris's trombone player? I looked it up. Oh. Oh, this is someone who's playing in Dave Ferris now. Oh. 2017 to present. Yeah, those guys are all hired guns. Yeah. I looked up this person and I found their I found something and I didn't see say Ferris on it. I did look them up and it seemed like they were like more sessiony people. Um but that's what I got from it. Like LA people. God Is damn it. Trump, guy? Yeah. Side I'm sure. <laughs> Chromantic. What was it? Chromatic. Chromatic. Uh. With a K. Yeah. From Michigan. This is LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that guy. And then Aaron Leibowitz on sax. Aaron Leibowitz? Yeah. I I I Googled this when I got it at work. I was like trying to find it out. All right, this guy's played with a yeah, lot of people. L.A. people. Yeah. I played with Jason Mraz. Oh, was he on Jason Mraz's uh, Sky album? Tame Impala. Do you all remember that? that I was surprised that that didn't get as much play as... Uh, 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 He's got a signature read. Jason, Jason Mraz, Mraz had he, a Sky album? Yeah, he put out a legit Sky album. When? Uh, a few years ago. And like the Agrilites... And like a bunch of other LA, like really legit ska people were in the band. Really? I totally missed that. What was it called? Um. Oh, here we go. Look for the good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There's all the people. Cool. Yeah, I think there's like Hepcat guys in this record. And wow. Damn, dude, I yeah. want to check this out. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Like, like, it got very little press. Um, yeah, Jason Mraz is doing like a legit Roots Trad Scott record. That's cool. I love that. Cool. Cool. <sighs> anyway, interesting album, thought provoking album. Be interested to see what it how what it does and how big it goes. I'm excited to uh, getting played a little bit on the radio. Yeah. Um, and they're playing big shows two nights at uh, Avant Gardner in the city soon. Oh, where's Avant Gardner? It's like in Bushwick. Um, what's the capacity on that? Is it six thousand people? That's the first thing that comes up. Five five. Yeah, 5,500. So that's wow. like 11,000 tickets they'll do. Yeah. It's pretty big. That's exciting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and the, the crowd, it's interesting. It goes to the shows as younger. It's like not, it's not people who grew up with Papa Roach and yeah. Pop Punk and Sky yeah. and these things. It's like younger kids. Yeah. At least when I went and saw them at Terminal 5. Yeah. Maybe we'll see what happens after this one. Maybe they'll, yeah. they'll keep expanding even... Otherwise, I mean, the best hope you could have for 
like a young fan of 100 Gex that maybe wants to like become a musician or be a music writer, you know, you'd hope that a really young music fan finds 100 Gex and is like, where the hell is are all these sounds coming from? You know what I mean? And like in the very best of scenarios, it would lead that listener to have a more fulfilled understanding of different genres of music that have all been mashed up. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be um, cool. That would be like the coolest scenario. Yeah. You know what I or, mean? Or I think that's a cool scenario. I also think a cool scenario is like freeing people's minds up to just freely mashing shit up. Yes. Because like, I do think rock music is pretty stagnant right now and has been for a long time. And it could, in my opinion, use some more shaking up. Like there's a lot of safe rock music. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love it. There's a lot of good shit, but I do, I do hope that people can keep finding new ways to keep it exciting. Right. I think it's going to need some, some energy like this. Yeah, That makes sense. To just find new new roads. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, dudes, thanks for uh, having me on the pod. Yeah, yeah. This is great. The official Ten Thousand Gex album review. There you go. As far as we see it, I have to. Um, I have to maintain my dominance as the most listened to guest on this most appearance guest <laughs> on yeah. this podcast. I, I intend to claim that. For all of time. All right. And you shall have it. We I was, didn't mean to cut you off, but I just remembered we have to pick an episode. Yeah. yeah do it. <laughs> what are we gonna watch next week? What are we gonna watch? Sixteen. Okay. Oh. Shit. It's really close to Ricardio the Heart Guy. Sean, I've been asking Eric if we can, know, if we can redo Ricardio. I know. No. I heard about that. That guy's fucked. Look at that guy. This is Ocean of Fear. We did that one. We did that one. All right. I want to talk about this on the air. How are you doing this right now? And why have you not figured out a way to not get around this? Because I have a way I will give to you on air. Uh, So... What I do is I Google random uh-huh. number generator yeah. and I go minimum one, maximum 283 and I yeah. hit the button and then we look and see if we did it already. <laughs> that That is very playful and I would recommend a different way. <laughs> okay. Okay. If you keep a note doc, well, now you have to do some legwork, but you keep a note doc and it's just one, next line, two, next line, three, all the way to two, whatever and then you remove all the numbers you've already done, you can go to a list randomizer. Mm. You just take the whole list, copy it, paste it into a list randomizer, click random, whatever number's at the top, that's the one you're doing. Every week you just go to the list and delete the one you're about, you know, that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, you know, over the next three years, you won't have to play the what are we going to watch uh, theme song like 10 times in a row. As you're hitting more episodes you've done than not done. You know what I'm saying? That sounds like a great idea that I'm not going to implement. All right. Well, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) What are we going to watch next week? 27? Low numbers. They want us at the beginning. 
Oh, it came from Nightosphere. Yep, we did did that one. Yeah, we did that one famously. <laughs> yeah, it's great. What are we going? 197. It is Ricardia the Heart Guy. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the Lamb. <laughs> did we see- do this one? Season six? Yeah. I don't think we did it. I don't think so either. What is it? I'm going. Finn's father fights oh, yeah. for freedom on a new planet. We did not do that. No. Cool. cool. Let's good. do it. Season six, episode 41. Yep. Okay. On the lamb. Adventure time. <laughs> That's what we talk about in this podcast. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Sean, thank you sincerely for, for making time to do this and while you're in town for just like a day. Yeah, I uh, I really appreciate it and uh, love having you on. Yeah, it's great hanging Eric, with you guys. Eric, I can't wait to hear new theme songs. Um, oh my god, yeah. Uh, I appreciate oh, I had another you. one. I, I was I was hopefully gonna drop uh, drop in there and make you do, but we didn't get to it today, unfortunately. All right, <laughs> but well, you've been spared. T- tell us off air. <laughs> okay. All, All right. right, thanks everybody. Peace out, y'all.